Welcome to the Peru Tech Bytes podcast with Nick Damiani and John Mitchell. Our podcasts are designed to help teachers navigate the murky waters of appropriate technology use in their classrooms. Let's get started. Welcome to the Peru Tech Bytes podcast. This is John Mitchell, and as usual, I'm joined by Nick Damiani. How's it going, Nick? Great, John. Excellent. Well, today I'm very excited. Um, this uh, podcast is one we've been waiting on in a long time. Today we're going to talk all about esports. Uh, esports is uh, gaining popularity in education. Um, as of last year, there were thousands of schools around the country implementing an esports program. And to help us actually dig into the details of that exciting new opportunity, we got some special guests joining us today, right, Nick? Yeah, we're excited to have uh, two uh, special guests joining us today. Uh, we're going to have Dean Delano, uh, who is our esports coach at the Peru Central School District. And Charles Murray, who is the esports coordinator from SUNY Canton. Uh, so let's start with Dean. Uh, Dean, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so right now I'm a middle school uh, teacher in art and technology, uh, and we are working on getting some of those students into it as well. But uh, our program is varsity level. It's going to be high school. So some background in, uh, for me in terms of gaming. I've uh, been doing it for a while. <laughs> Non-competitive. Um, and this is an awesome opportunity for me to connect with the students and, and really kind of meet them where they have interest and kind of get them into some potential career opportunities that involve graphic design or uh, game design. Yes, yeah, so we pitched this idea to Dean uh, a while back, and he was definitely excited to just jump on board and help us through this process. So uh, his hard work is greatly appreciated. Uh, Charles out in Canton. How are you doing, Charles? I'm doing well. It's great to be here. Excellent. Uh, could you go ahead and just kind of give us uh, some background on, uh, you know, how you ended up at SUNY Canton as an esports coordinator? Sure. So uh, we'll start, I guess, in the very beginning. I was working at Ellenville Central School District as a K-12 educator. Um, my certification actually is in social studies for uh, 5 to 12. So I was always interested in video games while teaching, and I started getting some students picking up about esports and wanting to form a team because they heard, hey, this teacher plays video games. You know, what, what, I want to connect with him somehow. And they really wanted, these students that like video games, they really want to connect. And I wanted to connect with them, you know, to better help them. So I formed a little bit of a team. And then Canton heard about that. I applied for the job and basically the rest is history. I'm their esports coordinator now. Uh, I coach specifically the Overwatch A team. We had our most recent match last night. Uh, we beat Johnson & Wales, which I'm very proud of. Uh, we are currently undefeated and ranked number one in all the 62 colleges in the ECAC for Overwatch. Uh, I oversee the esports arena. I you know, oversee the technology and the competitive aspect of the program. And uh, I love my job. <laughs> <laughs> it's always great when you can say that, right? Yeah, uh, And I know, you know, from our perspective, being in a high school, looking at trying to start a program, uh, you opened your doors to us back in January uh, and just became an instant resource for us as we try to get something started in our district. Uh, so that's something that you do, you know, kind of for high schools within the region. Is that correct? Yeah, I want to make sure that every high school in the area has a chance to, to do something that kind of I wish I had when I was a kid. Right, we're all about creating opportunities in education, and this is just one of those opportunities where we can definitely impact a large population of students and get them engaged in school in a different way. 
yeah, for sure. I mean, you're taking a group that's very often kind of not connected to the traditional social norms of, you know, doing sports or, or joining a club. They might, these students might be more shy. This is a perfect way to connect with something that they love, institutionalize it, traditionalize it, and make them proud to be part of your campus. Yeah, great point. Uh, great point. Um, so if you had to describe what esports was to someone that might be listening that really has no idea. Uh, so basically picture me three months ago before I really started researching this. Uh, <laughs> so like, how would you describe it? What is it, uh, you know, for somebody that isn't really familiar? Yeah, so we've spent a long time, I guess, in our program defining what esports means for us. But we've also taken a kind of a look externally about what does esports mean as a whole. So for for the layperson, it can just mean electronic sports. So something it's not just, you know, video games, it's not just playing. It's a much more organized, concentrated effort to take something that was previously done in an isolated, non-constructive environment and constructing something out of it where previously there was none. So, you know, we would consider esports a mind sport, much like chess, where you're thinking constantly of moves and, and how can you outplay your opponent? And, and it's very much a mind sport. You know, obviously playing the video games competitively is not a physically demanding, so in not a traditional sense, a physical sport. But mind sports, it's more based on the intellectual ability of the player than physical exercise, which even then we've done studies on our esports athletes. We've put heart trackers on them while they're playing. Their heart rates are reaching exercise level while they are playing. So it's pretty incredible to watch them sitting there sweating, playing a video game. It's it's pretty incredible. And that sounds, I mean, that is incredible because that's not something that you, you would think would go kind of hand in hand with that process. Uh, so just the fact that it's happening and not only that, but you have recently, you're researching this uh, yes. and discovering it as you go uh, is amazing in its own. Yeah, um, we are, we are doing some uh, tests, I guess, on yeah. our, our students to kind of figure out what are the side effects of esports over a long period of time. And one of the things that we did was put these heart trackers and, and, and pulse monitors on them while they were gaming. And what we found is that they are reaching exercise levels of, you know, not, it's obviously not like a full on wrestling match exercise right. level, but it's a, as if you were jogging. So they are sitting in place, their heart is doing the effort of jogging because these are players that aren't measuring time in minutes or hours. They are measuring their response times in milliseconds. It is an incredibly concentrated effort that when they're done, they're exhausted. They, they are spent. I have to make sure they get back to their rooms, take the time that they need to rest and recover. They need to hydrate. They need to do everything like you would kind of to recover from a traditional athletic event. Like you need to ice your hands. It, it does have all the signatures of a post-athletic exercise. Well, some of the, you know, some of the video that I've seen, uh, like when people are in match, uh, the movements, the response, like their fine motor skill response, that type of stuff is, uh, it, it's definitely above the average bar, so to speak. Uh, and it's, it is neat to see. Uh, you know, it's yeah. interesting that you talk about, uh, you know, it being a mind sport versus just 
kind of an electronic game that, that students are playing. Uh, because one of the common questions that you know I've had to answer over the last few months is really what is the value of implementing a program within a public school district? Like why is this something that you know a district should get behind and support? Uh, you know why should parents support it? Community uh, and those those types of things. And I always kind of go back to the same four four things, uh, four categories of skill development. Uh, so we're, we're looking at trying to develop, you know, character development and build, you know, quality character and discipline, self-esteem within our students. Uh, and this is definitely an avenue for that. Uh, we're looking at building community uh, where students can develop a sense of belonging when they're, they're not really engaged in that school atmosphere, but providing them an avenue to become engaged uh, and, and work with a group of students, uh, develop some school pride uh, and some buy-in on that. Uh, we're also looking at developing teamwork and leadership. So as they work through these games as part of a team, you know, the leaders are going to, they're going to develop leadership skills uh, and how to work and communicate within a team. Uh, and then the last one that I usually focus on is that strategic thinking. So the mind part of it, where they are working in a fast-paced environment where they have to share strategies, have conversation, know what each other on the team is doing. Uh, and these are all real-world, real-life skills that students need to develop, and the fact that we can pull these into an eSports program and utilize a program like that to develop these skills makes it more meaningful. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Honestly, that, that's the reasons why I do it. All, all, you check every box, Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's, just, it's just great. It, it's great to see. I know one of the things that uh, was really interesting to me, Charles, when we came out is how you talked about um, – you may have students that aren't really looking to be um, professional gamers their whole life, but this could still translate into other career paths for them. I know that, you know, you have, you know, software and uh, web development opportunities, art, graphic design, uh, marketing, business development, um, general managers, event organizers, coaches, and even, oh, like, yeah. you know, broadcast and journalism. So uh, why don't you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So there's a whole uh, ancillary market setting up around just the competition. So, you know, you have a very small percentage of the students that might that may be in the future that pro level quality or have the dedication to do that. But again, like you said, not everybody has uh, the skill or the time or even the desire. And that's OK to do that. So you have this whole section of people that, yeah, they love esports, They love participating but they just can't see themselves being pros. There is a whole separate market setting itself up to support this. So just to kind of give a real world, just true example of this, last year we went to Nashville, Tennessee, our partner Extreme Networks flew me and our Overwatch team out to play on stage in front of everybody. So we brought one of our students who was interested in being an internet personality, what we would call a caster someone that sits in front of the camera, does play-by-plays in real time, much like a sportscaster would. So this is an example of a potential job. We brought him in front of a stage. Now, this is an opportunity he got through the partnership that SUNY can has with Extreme Networks. But he was in front of a stage for the first time in his life, well, behind stage, rather, in front of a soundboard, in front of a crew that reported to him. And he was a sophomore in college. And he's getting real world experience right at the gate being in esports. This is someone that is now going into an esports management degree 
to learn how to do these type of events, managing esports events. How do you manage the sound and audio equipment behind? How do you switch between screens while streaming? All of these nitty gritty little details you've got to learn. It, it's a massive, massive business. It, it is really, it's becoming billions and billions of dollars. Not only, you know, casting and the entertainment side, but you've got whole opportunities for team management. You know, you've, you've got T-Mobile owning teams, Sprint owning teams. Being part of kind of the corporation of esports has a lot, a lot of job opportunities. And when we're talking about uh, these job opportunities, career focus, those types of things, um, right now we have, you know, well over 200 colleges and universities across uh, the country that have full adopted programs plus a large number. And that number of 200 plus is probably changes, you know, weekly or monthly. Um, but you have a lot of club programs as well uh, yeah. that have that are student run. Like there's not really a faculty advisor, but the students are leading the charge within those colleges as well. And then in response to that, you know, there's curriculum that's being built and put in place to kind of also work alongside those esports programs. And uh, that's something that uh, you worked at Cant to help put in place, correct? Yeah. So we have complementary programs to esports, and esports complements them back. And I, I think it's great. We call them our sister programs. So the original sister program was game design and development. So this is kind of the rationale that we had was, hey, if students like making games, right? And this is kind of a one-way street here. If students like making games, they usually like playing games. So that's kind of the sister program that really gave us the most amount of students in the beginning, the ones that we found most kinship with. Uh, so students in that program learn to make video games. They learn how to code. And if they even want to specialize, they can go into making art assets, sound assets, you know, music. Uh, they can do animations. Like it's the program is incredible. And now we have a new program that just got announced launching in the fall of this uh, year, fall 2020, uh, of esports management, which is going to be the the honest to God true sister of the esports program. I'm helping to partly design some curriculum for it, along with um, some faculty and staff that we've got here to to give students that kind of real world experience that they need. They're going to be working with me directly in the esports program here, helping me plan events, helping me reach out, create professional uh, opportunities. So it's it is important to make sure that we connect uh, with our sister programs, because if you don't, you you tend to lose a lot of the the value that I think you and I, Nick, that we're looking for in these programs. Where, you know, you're developing the relationships, you're making the student better as a whole. Uh, it's important to connect them to academics for sure. Yes, and uh, I know Dean and I definitely agree with that. We've been brainstorming uh, some some ways to get it connected, just with our program at the high school level, trying to you know pair it up with some computer science elective courses in the high school, and and just try to kind of mirror what we're seeing grow at the college level. Uh, just to kind of create that type of atmosphere and connection. Uh, the thing that really catches my attention about that is that experiential component for the students to, you know, whatever it is, we've kind of used the term a lot about it's the hook, right? The game is the hook. And then you can elaborate on those skills and um, the real world applications. And um, to me, that's phenomenal to get those opportunities and to see the students in those environments um, executing those skills that, you know, you could teach them in a classroom and, you know, make some kind of arbitrary project or, you can, like you said, you know, you send a student out onto the stage and they got a, they're shoutcasting in front of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. It's, 
it's a it's a great way uh, to have a program and, and to get students involved. Yeah, agreed. All right, so at this point in our episode, what we're going to do, we're about the halfway point, so we're going to go ahead and take a, a quick break and pause for our tech tip. All right, so today's tech tip is going to be uh, centered on sharing permissions within Google Drive. So we had some you know, some questions pop up over the last month or so about uh, just needing to provide reminders as to what the different levels of sharing within uh, Google are. So the three basic forms of permissions are going to be edit, comment, and view only. And you want to make sure that uh, you always think about your audience and what the purpose of sharing is prior to sharing that document. So if you give someone edit permissions, they're going to be able to alter and change that document, delete sections, delete the document, uh, and those types of things. Uh, that could definitely throw a wrinkle in uh, some plans. So uh, just think about that. Keep that in the back of your mind. When in doubt, share view only. If it's something that uh, you know is not going to need to be changed, but somebody might want to make a copy of, uh, and uh, you know that'll just keep that back in the back of your mind. Edit, comment, view only. Always think about the purpose of sharing uh, before you press send. Excellent, uh, Dean. Could you tell us a little bit more about um, you know what your team's actually been doing and how they've been participating with other schools right now? Sure. Yeah, so um, in large part, uh, thanks to Charles, uh, we did get some excellent direction when we went out there and, and visited you. So thank you again for that. Uh, but we sort of we pulled uh, some research together. We were looking at three of the main uh, platforms that we were familiar with uh, in terms of league development. Um, Play Versus or Play VS, uh, if you're looking for it online, was, was one of them. It was kind of front and center for us uh, here in New York State. Um, NASF or North America Scholastic Esports Federation is one that um, Nick and John, I think you were there at that conference too. You guys had heard quite a bit about. And um, the third one was the high school esports league or HSEL. And uh, Charles, that's one that you definitely kind of cued us in on and, and were advocating for. So when it all was said and done, uh, we found that the, the NASF option was free, which was a, a excellent opportunity. Uh, but it also had a really cool curriculum integration to it. And that caught our attention and forced us to do some more research. The HSEL was another option, again, because it was so widespread. I think it's one of the older or one of the first ones. Yep. Um, but at the end of the day, we saw that the PlayVS for us was where our local team, so the local schools in our area, were competing um, with their pilot or first-year programs. And it also was a phenomenal opportunity for us to connect with our IT, our NERIC, um, to kind of bring it into the schools, which I think any school that is looking to do this, if you don't have a partnership with your IT provider, I, I don't see how you can get it off the ground. So that connection and their buy-in on that already was a, was a major factor. So how did you, uh, you know, how did we settle on some players? Like what was our, or what was the approach there? Well, we put it out. Um, we'd had started conversation last fall about this. And um, I mean, it's like asking kids if they want, a cupcake, right? Like, I mean, you say, hey, we're, we're looking at an esports program and the, the, everyone's coming out of the woodwork. So it was easy to find students that were interested in it. Um, what was difficult was to find students that either weren't overextended um, or were willing to make the time commitment to, to put in and do this. And it wasn't just a recreational, hey, I'm going to go home, hang out in the basement or whatever and play video games, but like really come in, represent your school, um, be willing to buy into that athletic model of discipline and teamwork and academics. Um, so when that was said and done, 
uh, we ended up with uh, six solid students uh, that we chose to go forward and, and actually um, activate in the, the Play Versus system. Yeah, when we set, sent out a student survey, we had about 130 students uh, that completed the survey. Out of the 130 uh, that took the time to do the survey, we had about 70 students that were interested in participating. Uh, and this ranged from 8th grade through 11th grade. Um, so we're going to have a large population of students to tap into when we're ready to open up the doors on this. Yeah. Um, and I just double-checked, even just signed up through Play Versus, we have 22 right now in our school. Yeah. Um, and some of them, it you know, it's between, they have to be 13 or older, so that does incorporate some 8th graders, which is good uh, to allow some of that growth. But, yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to have a problem getting students. I think that the issue is how do we make sure that we um, kind of move through this process uh, professionally and um, to really make sure we integrate. It's not just a, a game, but we are, you know, we're an actual sport. Yeah. Uh, learning as we go. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but I think we, that was a great, you know, uh, I think this is a great startup pilot program that we're, you know, we're taking small bites, which I think is important. Yeah. We're trialing some of this stuff out as we go in terms of the casting and um, even the voice comms, like it's, it's, um, it's new. So there's a lot of regulations that w for education that we need to be aware of. And we're trying to take it slow and make sure we, we, due diligent work to, to do it right. Yeah, great. Uh, and when you talk about, you know, when you, when you say there's a lot of regulations, then it kind of leads us to uh, really the last segment, which is going to focus on, you know, what are some potential roadblocks of trying to start an esports program uh, within a district? Uh, so I know when we met, uh, met with you, Charles, you, uh, this is something that you're definitely kind of passionate about trying to provide information on and education on to show that, you know, some of these roadblocks that are out there aren't really roadblocks. Um, it's just about how you educate and promote uh, what esports can bring to the table. Uh, so if you're if you're thinking about some of these, you know, roadblocks, the first one that comes to my mind is just the financial commitment um, of a district. So when we're looking at, you know, the devices that students can participate on and play on, um, we're thinking high-end gaming machines, you know, devices that could cost up, up around $2,000 a device and you want to outfit a lab for a team. Like, yeah, that's kind of the dream of it all. Um, but right now we're playing with our League of Legends team at this point in time in a computer lab that we put devices in last year with just, you know, basic machines. Uh, so some of the games can run on just basic machines. Others, uh, you know, others need an, an upgraded model, definitely. So um, has there been any information you've shared with district trials about, you know, just how to handle the financial component? Yeah. So a lot of the districts that approach me already have some type of idea of what they want. So it goes district by district. There's really no cookie cutter approach. And I think taking a cookie cutter approach is kind of, it, it's not good. I want each district to come to me and tell me, Hey, this is the group of students we want. This is, this is how many we want. This is the games we want to play. So I make sure I tailor it to each district to fit their needs. But something that each district comes with that is uniform is how do we fund this? How do we pay for this? Because we don't have enough money to make this amazing arena uh, and spend, you know, gazillion dollars on it. So I have to educate them on, you know, the grants that are available that you can apply for. Uh, most districts have someone with grant writing experience. Uh, it's just kind of part of being a public school uh, institution. 
a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of funds that go around, especially for upstate New York, where we are uh, in budget lines, especially for something as ambitious as this. So you have to look externally. I know Messina Central School District is running their program, uh, rather their program space through an after school program that got a grant from a local business for $30,000 to build a program to better the lives of the youth in the area. And they took this and they built this amazing esports arena with it. I helped them design it. The kids love it. They're getting national recognition for it. Um, Colton Pierpont, they found money in their budget to go and augment a classroom to truly dovetail it with academics because they see the Colton Pierpont sees the future coming through here saying, we have so many tech jobs coming up, so many content creation, asset development, video game making coming online. They want to make sure their students are prepared for the future. So each school has their own special approach, but funding across the board is always an issue. There is a way though that can really, really, and I, I can't emphasize it enough, really help with getting the funding that you need. That is making sure you reach out to your local community, see who in the area is interested, and most importantly, making sure that you are educating your local community on the benefits of esports and, and kind of spreading the word about how good it is for the kids and, and give testimonials from the students saying this is this is what it did for, you know, little Johnny or, or, or whatever or whoever. Right. So that's kind of the most important is educating the community, reaching out, making those connections. And obviously that will vary depending on whether you live, you know, in an affluent area or a non-affluent area. So even in North Country, even in Northern New York, where money is tight across pretty much all school districts, if you can educate and convince and show the benefits of it, you can find money somewhere, especially through grants, for yeah. sure. And we we kind of got it at the right time within our district because we were waiting on some lab replacement funds through our smart school investment plan that was going to allow us to redo one of our kind of big instructional labs in the high school anyway. So we were just kind of fit right and perfect to the upgrade in that lab, which will serve as a dual instructional location. You know, it's going to be an instructional lab by day and an esports lab by night, so to speak. So that is uh, perfect. You can't really get better than that. Yeah, so we, we definitely hit we hit it at the right time. Uh, so at, 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 we were lucky, uh, definitely. Um, so one of the other kind of big concerns uh, when you're talking about roadblocks and educating the community is kind of this this fear of kind of glorifying violence and and those types of things through video games. Um, you know, what have you shared with districts to help guide them through that conversation? Well, there's plenty of research that's been done that shows you know, video games that have violence in them don't necessarily glorify or sorry, not glorified, but doesn't necessarily promote the violent acts. It's it's a predisposition that's that people have prior to playing the video game. They you know, it, it's not related to the video games in particular. So I often share statistics, um, you know, studies. I've got a, a list of some of them on my Google Drive that I can show out to districts because you always want to show peer reviewed research, right? Because yeah. ultimately that's what carries the most weight as it should, right? Showing a tabloid fact or anything like that. I don't care about that as an educator. I want to see the peer reviewed details where they've done studies over years showing, you know, X, Y, Z correlation between 
uh, video games, violence, you know, mental health issues or whatever. So uh, I often tell the, you know, tell the, very often I talk to people that only really know traditional sports. And when they see video games, they say, I'll never consider that a sport. That, that's very often a conversation I have with people, and I'm pretty much used to this by now. Uh, I talk to them, well, there is violence inherent in football. You are tackling each other. You are beating each other to the ground. There is violence inherent in wrestling. There's violence inherent, inherent in boxing. Um, it's a part of our culture as well. Like you, you just have to look at these sports that, you know, get millions and millions of viewers. Super Bowl is one of the most viewed events in, I think, American culture. Uh, and we watch people on a field tackling each other to the ground, beating each other up, sometimes getting in fights, hockey, sometimes getting in fights, you know, and the refs let it go on because it's apparently part of the culture. Um, to say that just because it's a video game, video game violence, because it's somehow, more disconnected than the part of the violence that is in our culture. I think it only just takes time. I just, we just have to continue pushing on, pushing forward with what we're doing. And eventually it will institutionalize. And I think ultimately we just have to keep going. We just have to keep pushing forward and not, not pay attention to the people who in lieu of the facts will just say their opinion and move on. So work on the education component. Uh, and, and kind of the sharing of information. Yep, be trans- keep educating. Yep, and be transparent on. about it and, uh, you know, answer the questions as they come and just keep moving forward. I think, too, getting, you know, you talked about some of the more traditional sports and the violence in, inherent in that. Um, what we're doing is, I mean, those students and, are, and players are enacting that in a controlled setting, right? They've got coaches, they've got support, they've got referees, and they, they are there to support them and, and work them through that outlet. And I think that's another great advocate uh, for uh, eSports is that let's get those students that maybe aren't connected um, doing something that they like in an environment where they can uh, have a positive outlet and, you know, make those one-on-one connections. So if there is an underlying uh, theme about violence or whatever in them or mental health, we have some faculty members that are connected to them and can, can say, hey, you know, like, let's get you some resources. Yeah. I mean, having them be connected to faculty staff member that can provide that, that that's something that previously they wouldn't have if they were doing this on their own. So it, it's a natural benefit of institutionalizing it. Providing another way for students to connect Absolutely. Um, and, and just trying to keep as many doors open as possible um, is, is really the goal of kind of everything that we do. For sure. Uh, and this definitely is just one of those things that, uh, is going to fall into our toolbox for being able to access, you know, students. Um, all right, so we're going to go ahead and wrap up. We have a teacher question that John's going to uh, answer, and uh, then we'll close out the show. Okay, so uh, it is now definitely time for our uh, weekly uh, teacher question. Uh, today's question is from fifth grade teacher Caitlin McKee. Uh, Caitlin asks, do we have the ability to share students' work from their classroom device to the main screen in our, in our room? And a short answer, Caitlin, is absolutely. Uh, we subscribe to a service called Lightspeed, which is our filtering and mobile management tool. And there's a component in Lightspeed that syncs with your Google Classroom and allows you to view any of your students' screens on your own desktop, which can then be shared to the main display in your classroom. So, Caitlin, thank you very much for your question. All right, so... Um, Nearing the end of the uh, podcast, I just wanted to take a 
you know, a quick second and provide a special thanks for Charles uh, Murray joining us uh, via phone call. So, uh, Charles, thanks for being a resource for us and taking the time to just share your thoughts and your excitement about esports. Uh, you know, from your perspective, we appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, more than happy to be here. Okay, uh, Dean, thanks for you know stepping out of the high school building and joining us for a little while. I know you got to jump back there for a class that begins shortly. So. Uh, thank you for getting on board, uh, helping us, you know, kind of navigate our ways through this this esports pilot. I think your influence is uh, uh, valuable, and it's it's great to be working with you on this. No, thank you guys, and I think you know this is something that you can't accomplish by yourself. So all of the team here has been phenomenal in getting this moving between you know IT between you Nick and and John um, and Charles again, you know, reaching out to us and. Uh, supporting has, has been huge, so definitely appreciate it. All right, thank you. You've been listening to the Peru Tech Bytes podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcast, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. If you enjoy the show, be sure to share with colleagues and friends, and follow us on Twitter at ndamiani PCSD and J Mitchell PCSD. Thanks again for listening, and remember, tech doesn't bite.